getting to understand how you how your principal and or executives um, ingest information is so essential because it doesn't matter how beautiful your answers are, how great your talking points are, if you're not communicating them directly to who you're working with in the right way in which they process information, it doesn't matter. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Role Models Podcast, a podcast where we host candid conversations with inspiring women about their personal journeys, career histories, and all the valuable lessons and learnings they've picked up along the way. My name is David Noyle, and I'm one of the two co-founders of Role Models, which is an event and podcast series that I started with my friend and co-founder, Isabel. Today's episode is a live podcast recorded at the European Communication Summit in Berlin, and our guest on stage is Anna Solner. She's the Director of Communication for Reddit, and Reddit, of course, is a website that many of you have heard of. It's the sixth largest website in the world in terms of traffic. It has over 300 million active users and is home of about 138,000 communities that are also known as subreddits. In this conversation, Anna talks about how she manages to communicate both to and on behalf of all these millions of users around the world on a website that has been called the front page of the internet. This episode is filled with insights for those who work in communications or who want to learn how to become a more effective communicators. Anna and I talk about her personal experience and how to do that, which includes how to practice social listening across multiple social media platforms, or how discipline, curiosity, and being an advisor are all key to becoming good communicators, and what the future of communications looks like, especially the times of social media and fragmentation of different platforms. A big thanks and shout out to our patrons for this episode. Megan Quinn is a general partner at Spark. She supports the organization 2040.org. And of course, Anna Carolina, who is a coach based out of Berlin. And you can find more about her work on truththircles.com. If you would like to support the creation of this podcast and become a patron yourself, you can do that on patreon.com slash role models. Hey, and before we jump into this conversation, we can use your help. Please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. This really helps us reach new people like yourself. This is the Role Models Podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode with Anna Solner. Live from the European Communication Summit in Berlin, this is the Role Models Podcast. Wow, that's so cool. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm really delighted to record this uh, live edition of Role Models uh, with a guest on stage here in Berlin tonight. And our guest flew in from San Francisco. And uh, her name is Anna Solner. Welcome to the stage. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Anna, you are with Reddit. Uh, and a quick question in the audience. Who has not heard of Reddit? Zero people. Okay, this is great. So Reddit, also dubbed as the front page of the internet, has been around for almost 13 years. I think exactly 13 years. Yeah, Actually, last days, week, right? Yeah, no, last week. In a week, uh, founded by Alex Ohanian and Steve Huffman, who is also the CEO, 
It's one of the largest or most trafficked websites on the internet. So it's number six worldwide, number three in the US. Uh, so that's quite an accomplishment. It has about 300 million active users. And Anna, you shared with me, it has about 138,000 uh, different communities or known as subreddits. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's quite impressive. My first question would be, Anna, to set the stage is, the job you have today, how is it different or is it exactly the job that you wanted when you grew up? So I, my background, and hello everyone, thank you so much for having me. It's great to, to be with you all today. Um, my initial background when I was first kind of launching my career was actually in politics. And so I first worked um, for a United States Senator, Dianne Feinstein, from California, which is where I grew up. Um, and, um, and then I also worked abroad in politics in Hong Kong for the pro-democracy movement there. And, um, and what I learned there has served me extraordinarily well being now at Reddit where it is effectively this network of communities that encompasses millions of people who all have different interests. So, um, so I would say that I did not imagine back in my youth that I would be running communications for an organization like Reddit, but I always knew that I was very interested in, in kind of governance um, and and effectively, Reddit is this incredible incubator for how humans communicate and interact with one another online. Um, and so that, in many ways, makes it my dream job. This um, keyword governance that you mentioned, mm. where, where is this rooted? Like, why, why, why and when did you develop an interest for governance? So I think that starts back when I was in high school. Um, so this is many decades ago. Um, in 1992 in the United States, um, that year was known as the year of the woman because so many women were running for office in, um, in the United States. And there was a woman actually running for office in my congressional district just outside of San Francisco in Silicon Valley. Um, and she was um, up against a very formidable candidate. And uh, I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into that campaign volunteering as a high school student going there every day after school and just kind of trying to absorb everything I possibly could through that experience. And she won, which was extraordinarily exciting. And so that really kind of set my course. Um, I had been intrigued by um, politics as a high schooler, and then having that experience just really got me going and was very keen to um, learn as much as I could. So you, you shared that you also worked on the campaign for Dianne Feinstein, right? Who's now the, one of the two senators of California. So, yes, I, I actually, after college, I had interned for her in, um, while I was in college. And then right when I graduated, I, I went to her D.C. office and um, worked there um, in her judiciary subcommittee. What you, when, when we uh, spoke on the phone a week ago, you said that Diane finds in you, and you, you, uh, I'm quoting, you said that she had an old school approach to female leadership. Yes. What, can you describe that, what that means? So if you think about it, you, right now we think of women in the workplace as a very normal thing. It's completely normative for us um, in this day and age. And particularly um, while, you know, particularly tech and some other industries still have a ways to go in terms of, of um, having equal numbers represented within those industries, particularly in politics. And when, you know, Dianne Feinstein was elected, there were very few women senators. And, um, and thus the year of the woman in 1992, because Dianne Feinstein 
Frankenstein was also elected that year. And so, um, you know, she, when she came of age, you know, it was kind of 60s, 70s, 80s. She had been mayor of San Francisco for a number of years. And, um, and so she was still considered quite an outlier. And so I think she carried with her that sensibility, meaning she had an incredibly disciplined approach to how she operated. She was quite formal. Um, and, and I think she definitely had a little bit of a chip on her shoulder in the sense of making sure that she had always done her homework, making sure that she was always act- accurate, very exacting. Every you know communication that came into her office, she wanted to know about it. Um, she had great expectations for herself and therefore great expectations for everyone who worked for her. I think that she very much came with the mindset that she had something to prove and and certainly um, you know, didn't want anyone telling her that she wasn't worth being in the room. And so, so when I say an old school approach, I think coming in because she always felt like she had to prove something, being in the room. And, and so uh, that was very formative, I think, for me as a young person to see someone who just had an extraordinary amount of discipline and how well that discipline served her. You know, I think she always got the question, which, you know, women generally often, women leaders often get, which is, you know, how do you balance work and family? You're a mother and all of this, and you have a very, you know, um, prominent husband, etc. And she just said, discipline, and moved on. Right, I think less you you find that question happening a lot less, or men are also getting asked that question. Um, but that's something that I think was always kind of part of her experience, and so that's that's why you know she had her she had her tight answer, and she was ready to talk about substance. So, if there's an old school approach, is there a new school approach? I think the new school approach is evolving. Right, I think that um, one of the things that has been talked about a lot in the United States. It's certainly something that we talk about because, you know, here in Germany, you have different policies around these issues, but um, maternity leave, paternity leave in the United States is is a very hot topic and um, something where I'm very proud that Reddit is really kind of at the leading edge of in terms of granting mothers and fathers um, uh, the same amount of leave when when they have an, a new child. And so it's one of those um, small but very, very important points because if if um, both men and women are granted you know the same amount of leave and they've shared responsibilities in their household, the burden is not only put onto the the mother or the um, the parent who um, is the primary caregiver. You met two uh, women as well at while you were at U.S. Treasury, right? Yes. Uh, can you share more in what way, uh, who, first, who, who they are? Sure. And also to what extent they, uh, they influenced you? So after I was uh, working for Senator Feinstein in the Senate, I was um, had the good fortune of going over to the United States Treasury Department, and um, it was a quite... Um, amazing time to be at the U.S. Treasury Department. There were a number of, of people who would go on to really incredible careers, and those included Sheryl Sandberg, who's now COO of Facebook, um, Marnie Levine, who's now the COO of Instagram, um, Michelle Andrews, who runs communications for the Federal Reserve, um, and a number of other people who have incredibly powerful roles, particularly in um, technology and communications. And so... Um, It was, it was a very, again, another formative experience. Um, 
you know, Cheryl was chief of staff at the time. And so, you know, having kind of, you know, very prominent female role models, um, treasury banking community, again, very male dominated industry, um, very male dominated, um, uh, basically government agency. And so uh, having this model of female leadership was, was, was again, for someone who was in her mid-20s, very formative to What's something you learn from, uh, you know, leaders, female leaders like them in a in very male-dominated environment? So what was different about, um, I th- so what was interesting about when Cheryl was chief of staff at Treasury was she was still quite young at the time. And and so I think, you know, separate from, from being a female, I think that being, you know, in her early 30s, mid-30s at the time, and, you know, frankly, being at the table with a number of different leaders of finance, CEOs, et cetera, um, you know, having to, to represent and, you know, be taken seriously, um, not only being a woman, but being a younger woman in that regard. And, you know, she is extraordinarily intelligent and so um, was, was able to do that without, uh, with a plum. So, um, so again, it was one of those situations where, where, you know, making sure you do your homework and, you know, showing up and making, you know, knowing what you're going to say and having a point of view and, and making that heard uh, was, was, was ways in which she modeled leadership. And what, to what extent do you think this, this environment has changed now? I mean, now is probably, <laughs> under Trump, probably a different, uh, different world altogether. But, but how would you compare working in a government uh, you know, agency Uh, at the time with, with how it is today? So I think, you know, the, the, um, in the introduction, certainly there was a reference to the Me Too movement, and, and I think that, at least in the, in the U.S., is very much aligned with the um, election of Donald Trump. Um, another uh, female uh, leader who I was able to work for um, is a woman named Jennifer Palmieri, who uh, was communications director for Barack Obama towards the end of his presidency and then went on to be communications director for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And um, she recently wrote a book um, called Dear Madam President, and effectively it's an open letter to the woman who will become the next U.S. president um, one day. God willing, um, and and in that um, she talks about the fact that with a with a candidate and an individual um, who has kind of been openly hostile to women um, has you know talked about assaulting women that kind of thing that that it was a moment in which women just weren't going to accept that as normal or acceptable. And so I think that you have seen um, across the spectrum, and I, again, I take this from a, a, an American point of view because that's my context, but um, you, you see women who are simply just not allowing, but you know, they may have just kind of brushed things aside in the past, and they're saying no to that now. They're, you know, they're standing up for themselves um, and, and asserting their voice. And so I think that that's an incredibly important um, lesson to come out of, of the election and, and the, the various rev, uh, revelations that have occurred um, in many different industries um, that are still um, being, coming out. And so um, I think that this is 
this is a new normal. I think that um, it's something where you have a shift, particularly in the U.S., where you know women are um, in the workforce. They are increasingly dominant as breadwinners within their households, and as a result, they have this economic power. They have an economic voice, and they're using it. Now you've worked, um, you know, from campaigns uh, during college all the way through to treasury and government uh, organizations, and have influenced or advised. Uh, communicated on behalf, communicated towards um, you know politicians uh, and and political staff around them. And this is an audience of communicators here in the room. And on the podcast, we have you know an audience of people who uh, work in organizations and companies who uh, you know sometimes, depending on the role and the level of there are in a company, have to influence and advise. Um, you know their principals or their managers or their executives in their in their context. How would you describe the difference or uh, the similarities between communicating, advising, and influencing a, uh, a political principal mm -hmm. with uh, an executive in a tech uh, industry where you're today? So that's an interesting uh, question because I believe that there's actually been quite a shift in terms of how certainly the technology industry um, is thinking about communications. Some of you might be aware that the, the tech industry is actually having a little bit of a communications challenge of late. Um, and um, certainly, um, you know, in the U.S. it's dubbed tech lash. I'm sure it's dubbed similar things here. So, um, I think there's a real recognition within the industry that they need to do a much better job communicating their point of view, what they're trying to accomplish, how they're going to be receptive to various audiences and their concerns related to a whole slew of issues. So, um, so what I think is so fascinating about how... Um, there's this kind of carryover from what I learned in the political sphere um, into technology is that um, in, in politics, the communicators, the professionals like everyone in this room, um, they're very close to the principal at all times in politics, right? They're constantly uh, serving an advisory role. And I think for a long time, that wasn't necessarily the case in technology. Now, the other aspect that I think is the real value add um, as us as communicators is we are always scanning the horizon to try and figure out what the next potential problem might be, right? Half of dealing with crisis communications is preventing the crisis from happening, right? So, so we are constantly scanning the horizon. What are things that might be of issue to maybe this community or that regulator or, or you know, could come up for certain interest groups? So, so that's, that is a value add that I don't think was necessarily embedded in some of the tech companies. Some of the larger ones certainly had this, but, but even some of the larger ones, as we have seen over the last year, um, didn't really, I think, 
truly integrate that into decision making, into how they organize themselves as companies. And so that is something that I think is a very important shift, both for the industry, but also a really important lesson learned that from from politics, where you know the the kind of communications director role or you know the communication leads role is really there to remind um, their principle of, you know, who the various players are. And it's not necessarily members of the media. It's broader than that, who various communica- community leaders are, NGO leaders, etc. Because all of these people, with communications kind of fracturing out in so many different ways, all of these people play a role either in how they're talking about you, how they are um, talking to their their constituents about you, meaning their their users or their customers or their members, um, and um, and so I feel like our role as communicators has expanded so much more than it, what it used to be in terms of thinking about various internal, external audiences, as well as, you know, all the different kind of uh, groups out there that potentially interact with our product. So when you, so we now live in a world where the the media landscape is highly fragmented Mm -hmm. and um, have macro trends that, you know, have been at play for for a few years now emerging from social media, uh, which make it very difficult, I assume, for communicators to to prevent these crises, right? To keep the, 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 the landscape and the, the, the playing field uh, under control or, or visible at all times. What tips can you share with, uh, with people who are in similar positions that you are or here in the audience around how they can um, navigate this uh, you know, changing landscape and, and navigating these macro, ter- macro trends uh, in this highly fragmented um, media landscape? So social listening, I think, is more important than ever. And by social listening, I mean across different social media platforms. I would argue that if you really want to know the pointy edge of the spear, you have to listen to what people are talking. If if you're representing a brand or you're representing an interest, um, listen to how people are talking about you on Reddit. What's social listening? Social listening, I mean, um, so there are different um, ways in which people are communicating, right? Your customers. Say you're an airline and somebody doesn't have a good experience on one of the flights or, you know, they find some kind of aspect of your website confusing to operate. Uh, You can pick that up by by interfacing with that. And I, it's not always negative. Sometimes it's incredibly positive, too. For example, maybe you're, you're representing a credit card company and you have a very interesting benefit package. And so people are talking about that benefit package and they think it's so excellent. These are all the different benefits that you can accrue using that particular credit card. I think that there's both very positive as well as, as, as negative things that you can listen to by... Um, by by kind of delving into these different um, social media platforms um, to better understand your customer and what they're talking about. And and I will say that um, before I got to Reddit, I actually, so um, in the interim between politics and technology, of course, I went to Hollywood, right? So um, I worked for four years at the Motion Picture Association. And um, that was at a time when um, 
the industry was under a lot of duress. They had suffered a very challenging uh, legislative setback, and um, they were having all kinds of problems with different interest groups and politicians and all of that. Um, um, as well as just a misunderstanding, I think, in the wider population about what the industry represented. So um, it was fascinating to do social listening, and particularly social listening on Reddit, because typically the Reddit community is very um, um, kind of in the weeds, as it were, on different policy issues, particularly as it relates to the Internet. And so um, it was incredibly informative both to understand what the problems that, or the, the problems that we weren't addressing, what those were, but also possible solutions. Because you, you know, Reddit um, is an open platform. It's not like Facebook where you don't understand what other people are talking about in different parts of the ecosystem. It is searchable on Google, it's searchable on the site itself, and, and it's organized according to communities so you can really delve in um, to better understand what your customers are talking about, both positively and negatively. So I would hugely advocate for everyone in this room to really think about their social listening strategy and, um, and how that can help inform um, not only their own communications roadmap, but potentially the roadmap for other parts of the organization in terms of product innovations that you think could be important moving forward that would address the needs of, of your customers. So you've been with Reddit um, uh, almost one and a half years, and the it's, you know, 300 million active users globally, it's like a country, right? It's like yes. a nation. Yes. Um, comprised of diverse audience, uh, global audience, uh, always connected audience, 300 million people. You, in your, in your role as communications director, what is it like to communicate to 300 million people, but also on behalf of 300 million people? So I'm going to talk about communicating to um, the community, um, which is kind of how we describe uh, Reddit writ large um, first. And, and that is as important to us as any of our external communications, right? Because our users are there not because they need to be there, but because they want to be there. And so that means that it's our job to make sure that we're communicating appropriately to them, which means, you know, we are in constant touch with our users. And um, so, you know, earlier, David, you referenced the fact that we have 138,000 different communities. We also have some very specific communities that are related to our, um, our users, right? So these are, these are communities where we communicate about different aspects. So every product update we make, we communicate to our users. Our CEO does an AMA. So on Reddit, one of the features that I would encourage all of your different brands or um, leaders to experiment with is um, Reddit's a home of what we call AMAs, Ask Me Anythings. And so everyone from Hollywood celebrities to presidents to candidates for for office to, you know, a vacuum repairman who also still has one of the most popular AMAs of all time, um, have done these conversations on Reddit. So it's a back and forth, it's a Q&A with the community on a whole variety of different topics. And it's really just having a conversation. Um, and so our CEO every quarter actually does an AMA with the Reddit community. And in that, in that way, you know, he is held accountable. 
He talks about things that we're rolling out. He's talked about things we got right, things we maybe didn't get right. And then he gets feedback from, you know, from the community. And believe me, we get a lot of feedback. They feel very um, empowered to share their point of view. So when we've done something well, they will acknowledge that. When we haven't done something well, they are not shy. And I think that that has actually made Reddit very resilient over the years in the sense that the people who are on there feel empowered and feel like they have direct access to the leadership of the company to the point where they feel like their voices can be heard. Um, We recently underwent a redesign uh, of the site, and some users were not interested in this. And this is why... I think working for Reddit is so unbelievably wonderful, but also sometimes a pain in my neck. Um, A cadre of users had put together basically a press plan of how they wanted to counter one of the product updates that we wanted to do. So they were like, here are the leading tech reporters. Here's a list of leading tech reporters that we want you to reach out to. Here are your talking points. Here are the, you know, we want to make sure that you're conveying these key messages and, you know, here's Anna's contact information so you can send the reporters her contact information. So it was one of those things where, you know, these people, our users, are feel so passionately about the site that they've developed their own press plans on how they're going to communicate with us, which I think is, you know, obviously it's more work for me, but that's okay because I think it means that we have a highly engaged base of people who, um, who you know, have a point of view and they want to make sure we know about it, and, and we do. <laughs> so you've, you've spent time working in communications for uh, publicly, uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, public sector um, politicians with uh, candidates in non-profits, in the entertainment industry and now in the tech industry, what are some of the skills that you adopted early on in your career that I still that you use every day today? So I think, and then we'll go back to the on behalf of the. Oh yes, Reddit. sorry, um, <laughs> sorry, yes. Um, so I think one of the most important qualities that I had to learn very early on is making sure you understand how your principal absorbs information and what makes them comfortable. Um, As many of you in the audience are probably very familiar with is that everybody has a kind of different style. Sometimes people are better having a conversation and kind of working on messaging in an orally, and so they can they can kind of work through how they're going to address certain issues. Some are much better digesting things on paper. They want very specific talking points. They want to kind of have all the background data. So getting to understand how you how your principal and or executives um, ingest information is so essential because it doesn't matter how beautiful your answers are, how great your talking points are, if you're not communicating them directly to who you're working with in the right way in which they process information, it doesn't matter. So 
that to me, that was, that's always the early conversation that I have with anyone that I'm working with, if it's you know, a political leader or a tech executive, is better understanding how, what's going to make them comfortable in terms of learning and getting used to being able to speak on behalf of the company. Um, I am very much of the mind that I like to have a lot of people within an organization be able to speak on behalf of that organization. The more kind of ambassadors you have, in my view, the better. And so figuring out how people are comfortable in their own skin and so that they feel good about coming out and talking to different um, groups um, is really, really essential. What have you found to be the most effective way to train them well? Repetition. So... I find that that being able to sit down with an executive team, and, and this is asking a lot, right? Because you're, you're asking for all your executive team to get in a room um, at the same time for a fixed amount of, of time to really do messaging, right? I think this is something that is, is really helpful um, for, for communicators because You are, um, when you, if you're doing messaging work as a group, then everyone feels bought in and it feels more authentic to them because they took part in it. It's not just a sheet of paper that they get on their desk or an email that they receive in their inbox about you know, how they should talk about X, Y, or Z. If they've actually taken part in that process, they're going to own it and own it in their own words in a way that is a lot more effective, I think, in the long term. So you worked with some uh, prominent uh, people over the course of your career. Is there one person or a company or an organization that you would love to lead communications for in your lifetime? Well, I feel like I'm doing it right now. Um, I That doesn't count. <laughs> Look, I think it's, it's not inconceivable for me to potentially... Um, think about doing another communications role again um, for hopefully a different U.S. president. <laughs> um, so uh, that wanna, is something that... Do you want to throw in some names, maybe? Um, I don't know of any specific names just yet, but, um, but I... I <laughs> You know, it's my first love. I, you know, you always remember your first love. So I think that um, that is, is something that I could see later on in my career. And, um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's such, um, at least in the United States, there's a lot of, I think, pain people are feeling. And um, because it, there's a lot of fear and an, a sense of not knowing what's going to happen next and um, lots of decisions that get made in kind of a vacuum. And so it is abundantly clear to me that, um, that communications and being able to articulate why certain decisions are being made is more important than ever. And so if I get to contribute in some way like that in the future, that would be, um, that would be wonderful. So who's that one person? <laughs> um, to be determined. Okay. Um, what? Who? Who is an? Who is an up and coming communicator that you that you're watching and that you want to to give a shout out for? In terms of somebody in a role like mine, or um, yep. a business leader, or yep. that kind of thing. Uh, and, and someone in a role like yours. Who are the up and comers in your industry? 
Gosh, there are so many of them. Um, what I think is interesting that has been a trend, at least in the United States, is so you have a lot of communicators that specifically kind of came out of um, the last government, so like the Obama presidency, who have gone on to either found different groups or run for office or start their own media empires. I think most famously there's a there's a new podcast or new-ish podcast called Pod Save America, which is run by um, kind of four guys who um, were in the communications field in, during the Obama presidency. That's been a really interesting innovation that's happened, right, in which people have just like, I'm going to create my own media channel. And so we're going to do a podcast, we're going to do live events, um, and we're going to just reach out to the people who we touched before and just, you know, continue to do so in, in kind of a new way. Um, and so I think what's been interesting is to kind of see, so, so those guys are certainly um, some of the innovators. I think also just, you know, a lot of the groups, um, and some of them are very active, in fact, on Reddit, these are kind of resistance organizations that have started um, uh, are fascinating to see, and, and, and we'll see what their impact is in, um, in November and, and beyond. So we are, we're sitting in front of a room of communicators, and you already talked about some of the emerging uh, people out there, uh, some of which are the, the Pot Save America um, uh, guys, it's four guys. Right? Well, they have, they've actually they built it out, now, so right? it's it's yeah. now they started. The, the founders were four guys, but they've broadened it out, so yeah, they they're, have, they're more inclusive, diversifying which is, which is their, important. Their yes. uh, podcast host as well. Um, so, w what are some? Uh, and I think the the, the keyword podcasting is an interesting one. Not only are we recording a podcast here, but you also mentioned Pod Save America. Um, and then you talked about the emerging communicators as well. What are two two or three tips that you can share? with this room and maybe people are listening to this as well about what to pay attention to in the next two to three years when it comes to communication as a practice but also maybe communication as a landscape in terms of channels uh, you know podcasting has a, is having a revival here um, and uh, what do you see how what's your view on on the landscape uh, what are, what are, what is some advice you can share with people here in the room so I think the landscape is going to continue to fracture. And, and so that is both challenging and an opportunity, right? Because it's, it's more challenging because all the kind of traditional ways in which we think about, thought about communications um, is no longer the case. Um, you will have, you know, I think all of you have experienced, you know, you have these kind of mainstay, mainstream media outlets that are very important to cultivate and still are very tastemaker in their orientation. Um, however, you also have the rise of, you know, kind of these new media channels that I just mentioned, podcasts, um, other um, other kinds of means of, of people who are their own kind of personalities or influencers in your space that may be, you know, a YouTube celebrity or some such. That And so it's, it's just... The, the, the way in which we think about communications is just continuing to fracture. Um, but I, and, and so that's why I think it's so important to be comfortable allowing for a lot of people to be able to represent your voice. And that may be your employee base, um, that may be people that you designate as spokespersons within your organization, but I also think it's really important to think about surrogates 
And by surrogates, I mean those other, you know, kind of third parties, maybe their groups that you work with or other companies that you work with, who also are, are encouraged to kind of speak about like why you're differentiated in the market. And that I think is incredibly powerful because word of mouth is still a phenomenon. And because there's such a fracturing of the media landscape, word of mouth will continue to be one of those elements that is so important. If people have a good experience, if they have a bad experience, that is something that will get conveyed. And so thinking about not only your um, your kind of home team of people who speak on behalf of, of you, but also thinking about who are those other people out in the ecosystem that you think could be great surrogates for what you're interested in, um, be it you know a trend that you see in the marketplace that you want to push out more. Cultivating them, I think, is, is, is certainly a way forward. But also, um, you know, speaking of podcasts, I think that that is a huge opportunity for brands and organizations, either to start your own. Um, so, for example, Reddit has entered a partnership with um, an NPR affiliate out of Boston to um, to develop our own podcast where we talk about stories based on Reddit um, called Endless Thread. Um, but also getting your people out into podcasts. It's an incredible vehicle that we have found very, very impactful in terms of getting our message out to all different kinds of audiences. Cool. Uh, we have this, for anyone who's uh, who been on stage, there's a huge red light blinking at us right now. Is this including <laughs> questions or are we, it's not, right? So we have to wrap up. Okay, great. Three final rapid fire questions yes. uh, to end up with. Sorry we didn't plan for enough time, but we're around to ask questions afterwards. Um, the question number one, we ask this every guest on a podcast and an event. Top three skills that you would uh, recommend to a young person to master early in a career that are portable over the course of a career, really quickly. So, staying curious. Don't just read what you think is what the people you're around are reading. You need to be a really good communicator. You need to be able to connect dots that don't seem obvious. So, be an omnivore when it comes to what you're reading. Number two is discipline. I think... Um, and that is message discipline, that is discipline in your personal life in terms of, you know, you always kind of have to be that advisor, and so you need to know what's happening in the broader world. If you're letting someone walk out on stage and they don't know that, you know, some big thing happened, just staying up to date and having that discipline to, you know, keep keep apprised of what's going on in the landscape is essential. And number three is being that advisor, right? So establishing trust with whomever you're working with so that they can come, they know that you're going to tell them um, real authentic feedback because that is, I think, the special sauce of being a true communications partner is if they feel like they can trust you with, you know, their insecurities and all of that and that you can help them be a better individual and a better executive. Best piece of advice, career advice you've ever received? Don't be a candy ass. And by that, I mean, don't be afraid to raise the question that you don't think anybody's asking, because you all know that 
there's always going to be that question that's going to throw somebody in an interview or in a discussion. And so don't be afraid, even if it's really uncomfortable or potentially personal, to be um, willing to ask those kinds of questions. And don't be afraid to like voice what you think is, is, is you know, par- of, of a potential concern. Because if people already are aware of something that's going to come up, they're less likely to be thrown off by it. And the last question we ask every guest on the podcast is if we, you and I go travel back in time to the Bay Area where you're from and we meet the 14-year-old Anna, what's the advice you give her? Uh, travel the world. And the reason why I think that that's really important is because getting to know other contexts, getting out of your bubble, getting out of like a space that you've been in for a while just even just personally is I think very refreshing to the mind. It also allows you to kind of better understand humans and how, and how humans interact in all different kinds of ways. So I think getting out of your own context and traveling um, is, is really important, particularly for young people. Anna, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much for joining us in Berlin today at the European Communication Summit. Thank you to the audience for being a part of this live taping of the podcast. You may now applaud as we open up this podcast. Uh, Thank you. Have a good time. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Thanks to Anna for sharing her personal journey and insight on how to become better communicators. If technology and communications are topics that you would like to hear more about, don't forget to check out the previous episodes of the Role Models Podcast. For example, episode number seven, when we talk with Samantha Berry, who was the head of social media at CNN Worldwide and who is now the chief editor of Glamour Magazine. This episode was produced by me, David Noel, with the help of our editor, Kate Lewin. There are a few ways that you can support the creation of this podcast. Number one, you can share this episode with your followers on Instagram, stories, or on Twitter. We're at underscore role models on Instagram, and we're at role models on Twitter. You can rate and review the Role Models podcast on iTunes, or you can become a patron of Role Models on patreon.com slash role models. In any case, we thank you for your support. We thank you for listening. Until next time.